They're, uh, they're going to be back to share a little more later on. I just got to tell you, gang, you're blessed to, uh, to be in a church where you have a pastor who cares and a people who care and the wonderful facilities you have here, a place where you can come and hang out, play ball, do some other games, and um, be with your friends and eat and then come in here together and worship. What a fantastic place. I wish I had something like this when I was a kid. But uh, I'm glad you're here tonight, and we, we let, appreciate you giving us the opportunity to come say a little word about Louisiana College. We'll say something later, but uh, I just want to keep let's move right into the spirit of what we've been talking about and singing about. You see, God wants to do a work in our lives from the inside out. Most of us are concerned about how the outside appears. Most people, you know, they judge a book by its cover. Most people judge us and who we are within three seconds of seeing us walk in a room. I mean, the minute I stood up here, you already determined that's an old fat guy who's come to speak to us tonight. <laughs> you already determined college presidents are stodgy and they're boring and they're going to talk about philosophy and all this stuff. Well, I hope I can dispel a part of that rumor. I can't do much about the hair. You know, we work out and try to do something about the size. But, you know, look at me, and this is what you're going to be in 40 years. So, you know, you got that to look forward. I know that, that's not good, but that can look forward to. But we're blessed. Thank you, Pastor, Youth Pastor, for letting us come, your team for doing the technology, and uh, what, a, what a blessing to be here with you tonight. You see, when, when God begins to do a work in our lives <clears throat> of salvation, in that moment of freedom, when we come to say, Jesus, take over my life, when we come to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Christ, the abundant life of Christ, to take up residence in our heart and life, and at that moment, there, there are things and there are places in our life that God is beginning to do a work. It's just it's a process. Now, salvation is instantaneous. Accepting Christ, step out of heaven, step into my heart, that's instantaneous. But walking this thing out, we call it discipleship or sanctification, a process of becoming more and more like Christ. And as Christ goes into, fills out our areas of our life, and the character of Christ is then formed or shaped in us, it's a process. And I think it's a process of renewing our minds when, when we... When we give our lives to Christ, our eternity is secured, our eternal destiny is secured. But you know, there's still thought patterns, there's still issues we deal with where Christ needs to have preeminence, where he needs to rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives. The scripture I'm drawn to tonight is in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I've, I've pulled it from a very modern translation that maybe help you understand it a bit more. But this whole concept of transformation of metamorphi, of being changed, of what God wants to do in our lives to change us. He's all about changing us. He never wants us to settle. He never wants us to be mediocre about our faith walk. It's always pushing us to be better, pushing us to bring others along. Romans 12, 1 through 3, it says, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. That's pretty much everything, isn't it? And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Then he goes on to say, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's transformation. Readily recognize what he, God, wants from you and quickly respond to it. The next verse says, unlike the culture around you, 
always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So I want to talk for just a few minutes tonight of what it takes to live a life from the inside out, how God wants to work through our minds to reshape us, to change us, to transform us, not to conform us, not to become like the culture, not to let the culture shape us, but let God shape us and let him as the potter working with the clay transform us into the person that he wants us to be. And for that to happen, gang, it's a process. It is a process of him working from the inside out. And here are four simple principles I want to share with you tonight. Number one, we must learn to examine foundational thinking. Foundational thinking. Let me tell you what that's all about. That's those thoughts that have been lobbed into your heart and your mind, maybe by an adult figure, maybe by a teacher, maybe by a parent, maybe by a coach. I don't know. Someone who said to you that, well, you know, you're never going to really be able to do that or no use thinking about going in that job or that career. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not capable enough. You don't have enough of whatever. And some of us have bought into those lies. Now, I was just a few years younger than you, 12 or 13 years of age. I had a very important figure in my life told me, Rick, you are never going to amount to anything. That's what they told me. Well, I refused to believe that one. And then when I was 14 years of age, at a summer camp, I surrendered my life to ministry. I surrendered my life to God, just whatever you want to do in my life, do it. And my dad gave me great advice. His son, always keep an open spiritual ear to how God will shape and move your life. And so I'm 15 years of age. And my dad suffers a debilitating sickness. And he's no longer working as a pastor. And we're thrust into poverty, basically. Unfortunately, he had relatives that would take us in. And we're on food stamps. And it was really, really tough. And I had, uh, because... Uh, was diligent in my studies and always worked hard because my mother had told me very young, said, Rick, if you don't work hard, if you don't earn scholarships, you may never make it to college. And that could be the money to help you. So I, I worked hard to do that, to go beyond what I had to do, study and work. And so here I'm 15 years of age. I'm in the 10th grade. I'm in an inner city school in Augusta, Georgia. And they can't, they're surprised that there's this kid who's smart and doing well on all the big aptitude tests. And so they bring me in to meet with the college professors. And they go in, the professors tell me the same kind of thing. Says, son, with the, where you live and the poverty you're in, you're never really going to be able to probably make it out of this. You see, I refuse, though, to believe their lies. I refuse to accept their opinion of me. Why? Because at the age of 14, I had surrendered my life totally to God. And I knew God had another story. God had a better narrative. God had a better direction. God knew what he wanted to do in my life. Now, 14 years of age, I had no idea he would have me work with college students in Christian colleges for 32 years now. You've got to examine foundational thinking. You can't believe the lies that are thrown into your heart and through your life by other people. Here, here's, here's a few foundational thoughts that come our way. Some of us believe this. If there are no immediate consequences for my actions, what does it really matter? You know, we can do something, we can be a part of something, we can sin, and we think, well, you know, that's really not going to hurt anybody, you're not going to have any consequences. 
Well, how sad to be for every action, there's a reaction, there's a consequence. I mean, it's just like Thanksgiving. That's coming up in a couple weeks, right? Everybody look forward to Thanksgiving, right? Why do you look forward to Thanksgiving? Yeah, a food, of course. Not thanking anybody, but just eating. I got you. Okay. Yeah, we all talk about food first. Sure we do. Well, you know, you eat that big meal, and you sit there, and you go through that carbathon, right? And you, you eat a lot, and you eat a lot, and you go, well, you know, I think I could go have a piece of pie or three. And, and so then you do that, and you get up, and you go to the mirror, and you look, well, I don't look any fatter. Well, no, but give yourself a couple days, right? And that food has found new places. All of a sudden, you know, you got a hotel growing under your chin. Or, you know, you got an apartment on your hips or something like that, you know. So there are consequences for action. Here's another one. Here's another lie people believe. If I disagree with the Word of God, with any component of the Word of God, with any rule of God, with any covenant agreement of God, it's okay. It's okay. If I disagree with it, it's okay. Kind of like the Thomas Jefferson approach to the Bible. If you know what Jefferson did, that he was a deist, he believed in God, but he didn't believe in Christianity, he believed in Jesus necessarily as the only way. So Thomas Jefferson took his Bible and he cut out the pieces and the parts of the Bible he didn't agree with. He formed his own Bible. That didn't make it right, of course. A few years ago, I was, um, I was over in Houston doing a meeting, a revival meeting, um, speaking, and a buddy of mine was the pastor and the host, and we, he and I had been to college together and grad school together. We were great friends. And, um, and I was there, and our kids were about the same age. And at that point, he had a daughter who was uh, 18, 19 years old and gone off to college her first year. And he said, Rick, if you get a chance while you're here this week, I know that, I know that you know, Jessica thinks the world of you, and if you'd ever get a chance to talk with her, said, her you know, he said, um, my wife and I were real concerned about some choices she's making. And she had met a guy. And she'd fallen deeply in love with this guy. And this guy was, had nothing to do with faith. He was a declared atheist. And he had nothing to do with the church. He didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And he was trying to pull her away from it. And so, you know, we're casually talking at dinner one night after the service. And I just said, Jessica, I'm, you believe in the word, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, Doc. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. I read it. I've accepted Christ. I'm following. I, you know, I'm, I'm serving, doing what I can. I said, well, have you ever read, you know, for example, 2 Corinthians 6, 14? She said, well, what is that verse? I said, well, let me read it to you. And I read it, and it, it basically Paul says that there is no place for a union between an unbeliever and a believer, that unbelievers and believers should not be connected in any marital type of relationship. relationship. I said, does that not concern you here? You're talking about this guy, you deeply love him, you want to marry him, and yet you know he has nothing to do with Christ. He doesn't want to be a part of that. He wants you not a part of it. She says, well, I've just chosen not to believe that. As if you could pick and choose what parts of the Bible as a believer you don't want to believe. You can't do that. Here's another foundational thought that comes our way. It says, if everyone's doing it, then it must be okay. It's not that bad. I mean, if everyone's sinning, it's not that bad. We'll just sin along with them. As if God grades on a sin curve. Of course he doesn't. Get this, gang. A thought becomes a belief, and a belief produces action. Say it with me. A thought becomes a belief, and a belief produces action. A thought becomes a belief, and a belief produces action. So examine foundational thinking. Secondly, you must then move to the second principle of exposing false thinking. 
Now, false thinking are those daily thoughts that come to you that Satan will lob, it says, those, those fiery darts into your spirit, in your mind, in your heart when you're your weakest. He will hit you in the places where he knows you're the most vulnerable. Whatever it might be, whatever temptation it might be, whatever attitude it might be, whatever words he can put in your spirit to pull you down. He'll lob that into your heart and your mind and your spirit. And the enemy seeks to do that. Why? To pull you down so that you won't seek to be transformed, so you won't seek this change from the inside out. And perhaps sometimes the enemy will lob this one into your spirit, young people. He'll say, you're the only one that this has ever happened to. You're the only one whose parents have split up, or you're the only one who this, that, and the other. And what you do then is you shut down, and you decide, if I'm the only one this has ever happened to, and then I'm not going to share that with anybody. I'm not going to seek any help. I'm not going to seek counsel. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to seek the Lord's help. Don't buy into those lies from the enemy, because that's all he is, the father, father of lies. And so those thoughts that can come on you, thoughts that says, you know, if you don't have a date by the time you're 16, you're doomed. Well, there's just no truth attached to that game, no truth at all. Those thoughts have power on them. They feel real. Your emotions dictate your thinking and your actions. Your emotions try to come to the defense of whatever's in your mind, and your emotions cannot distinguish between what is truth and what is not true. And so your emotions attempt to justify what's in your mind. No reasoning skills. It's random. It's on a rampage. That's why if you blow it, you sin. You disobey God, and then you, you come to your senses as the prodigal son did. Then you're under conviction, and you ask God to forgive you. Many times you'll say, well, you know, I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. Yet the Bible says, Romans 8, 2, that our sin's been canceled. It's been forgiven. It's been forgotten. It's taken away because of Christ's work at the cross for you and I. But yet sometimes you don't believe it because you don't feel it. And therefore, if you don't believe it and believe that God has forgiven you, you just continue in that action. And not really walking out this transformed life of being changed from the inside out. So whatever you think in your mind, your emotions will attempt to justify. That's how it works. That's why it feels so real. It feels so real, gang, but it's simply not right. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says here to be transformed so you can what? Prove what is the perfect will of God. And so that, that will heighten your sensitivity to the false thinking in your life so that you can see the truth in the midst of it. And then the third principle that's very important here after examining foundation and exposing is that we must establish fresh thinking. After we've examined the foundational thoughts that have been placed in our minds and hearts by authority figures, after we've exposed false thinking that the enemy lobs into our spirit day to day, we replace it with something powerful. We establish fresh thinking. You see, we are transformed by, the scripture says, by the renewing of our mind, not the renewing of your emotions. No. It's the renewing of your mind. Paul says, he pushes past that and says, renewed emotions do not bring real change. They don't. It's the renewing of our mind that brings change. It's thinking differently about things. It's seeking the will of God about issues. It's thinking and it's seeking how Christ would want me to behave and act and the people he'd want me to be around and the people he'd want me to spend my time with and the things that he'd want me to spend my time with. It's thinking how Christ would want me to do that. Changing our mind, not our emotions. 
And the way the character of Christ is produced is through this renewing of your mind, changing your thought life. You see, gang, the battle for your life, listen to me, is it going to be won or lost right here? Right here. Right here in your mind. It's won or lost right there. Many people today are living a life of, of pain, of hurt, because of decisions they made that they didn't win out the battle, they didn't let Christ have control, they leaned on their emotions instead of thinking, thinking Christianly, and they didn't expose foundational thoughts, they didn't expose false thinking, and they didn't establish any fresh thinking. The battle is won or lost right there, not in your emotions, it's in your mind. So I want to challenge you to establish fresh thinking. So you say, Doc, how does the process work? How do you establish fresh thinking? Well, three points right there. Recognize the lie, replace it with the truth, repeat the process. You see, for every lie that the father of lies, Satan, Lucifer, Diabolos, the devil, every lie he hits you with, there are corresponding truths in God's words to refute it. So for every lie, there's a truth to replace it, and it's God's word. Let's watch how the process works. Watch these watch this slides of the scripture. For example... Anyone here ever been insulted? Absolutely. Anyone ever felt angry about it? Did you want a revenge? Did you just want to go after them? You did it on social media. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you say you want exact revenge. Well, look what the scripture says. 1 Peter 3.9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. You're going, you got to be kidding me. The Bible says that. You mean that dude, what he did, he deserves it. He, no, 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 no. Are we going to go on our emotions? Yeah, emotionally he deserves it. You bet. Or are we going to lean on thinking like a Christian, on, on Christ-filled thinking and transformation? Recognize the lie. Replace it with the truth. Because, look, look at this. God's word is so wonderful. When he gives us an instruction, and he gives us a great promise, he says, no, 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 don't repay it with that, but with a, because of this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Don't short-circuit the blessing God has for your life by simply not being obedient to God's word. How about this one? You feel like you've been dealt a bad hand, right? Yeah, all of us have gotten felt like we've been ripped off. People take advantage of you. Look at this verse, Deuteronomy 23, 5. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, the enemy, but turn the curse into a blessing for you. Why? Because the Lord your God loves you. Recognize the lie. Replace it with the truth. Repeat the process. Say that with me. Recognize the lie. Replace it with the truth. Repeat the process. How do you know the truth? Well, first by knowing Jesus, the author and the finisher of truth and of our faith. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then reading his word, spending time in God's word. Here's another one. Uh, go to the next slide. Do you ever worry? Sure, we all worry. Absolutely. Recognize that lie and replace it with that wonderful verse. Cast all your anxiety, cast all your care, or cast all your worry on him, on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. What a wonderful promise. How about a task that's just too difficult? Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. How about if you want to rush ahead of God? 
I love this passage. Some of us want to rush ahead of God and think that we know more how to run our life than anyone else does. Because you see, something's going to shape your thought life. Something's going to shape your destiny. Is it going to be your emotions or is it going to be the truth? The truth right here. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait, wait, wait for the Lord. God has good things that he wants for you by trusting him and waiting and not rushing ahead. How about losing hope? We're losing hope. Maybe you're losing hope in a situation. Wonderful verse here. Passages in Psalm 62. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my rock and my refuge. How many of you would be honest with me tonight and say, say, Doc, I honestly have a difficult time praying. I'd have a difficult time praying. Just be honest. Sure. Sure, nothing wrong with being honest. We, if we can't be honest here, where can we be honest, right? Well, let me, give you, let me give you some help here tonight, all right? If you're having trouble praying or what to say when you pray, pray the Word of God. It's His Word. He loves to hear you pray it. He loves to hear you say it. He loves to hear you agree with it. He loves to hear you stand upon it. Look at this. You say, God, here's my prayer tomorrow morning. God, I'm so grateful I can rest in you alone. You are my hope. My hope comes from you. You are my rock and my salvation. You are my fortress. I cannot be shaken because of that, God. Thank you. You are my salvation. Everything depends on you. You are my rock, my refuge. Amen. You prayed, right? So if you have trouble finding, there you go. Pray God's word. Recognize the lies of Satan. Replace it with the truth. Repeat the process. Some of you may be feeling arrogant, maybe cocky. You maybe you think, you know, I've been to church all my life. I've read the Bible all my life, and I know more than anybody else about it. Well, here's a great verse for you to kind of get us humble. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root. The root supports you. And then this verse, recognize the lies, replace it with the truth, repeat the process. Temptation. Temptation that's coming through and to every one of us through all the screens in our life, whether it's a screen this size, this size, this size, or this size. And Satan, the father of lies, he knows how to distort and destruct, and he knows Right there is where it starts. And so you would be well advised to memorize that verse. Put that on a little card. Set it by your computer, by your tablet, by your whatever. And before you're tempted and before the temptation is going to come your way, Psalm 101.3a, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. There was some research done in the last couple years by the Josh McDowell ministry with George Barna, which they do marvelous research. It's very credible. And it dealt with the issue of pornography in the church today. They call it the porn phenomenon. Now I want you to listen carefully to the challenge before us and to see how, you know, again, how the lies of Satan are distorting human sexuality as God said it about in Scripture. For example, among Christian men, this is all about, these were believers that were, that were in this survey. Christian men, 
who actively seek out pornography on the internet, 47% of those ages 36 to 60. 65% ages those 25 to 39. 81% your age group, ages 13 to 24. Christian women, 56% of Christian women ages 18 to 24. Then they ask a question about ranking morality. What is more immoral than something else? 56% of young people your age said that that to not recycle was immoral. Yet only 32% of your age group said that pornography is immoral. Do you see the disconnect? Do you see the problem? 92% of Christian young people ages 13 to 24 talk with their friends about pornography in a neutral, accepting, or encouraging way. Because Satan has pushed that on us through every angle, through the music, through the videos, through you name it. And that it's tried to normalize it in our culture. That we even take porn stars and they're normalized and they're raised to some kind of celebrity status. Trying to normalize it. And that's how Satan always works. Trying to redefine what is sin. Right, Pastor? That we keep trying to redefine that. When it's all meant to destroy the impact it's having on individuals, the impact it has on a person's mind, the impact it has on your relationship, the impact it can have in your future marriages and beyond. Devastating. To go on with this in the cultural shift, it said that for Christians 13 to 24 years old, um, 65%, let's see, hang on, 80, 81% of those 24 years and younger were viewing pornography more. Now here's among leaders. This is even more frightening. 57% of pastors, 64% of youth pastors said they are struggling with pornography. At least they're being honest. 12% of pastors said they were currently struggling. 21% of youth pastors. 5% of the pastors surveyed said they believe they were addicted where 12% of the youth pastors believed they were addicted. And then the biggest disconnect, only 7%, only 7, that's just minuscule, number of our churches have any type of program to help our church members who are struggling with this issue. We, we have programs to help people struggle with alcohol, and drugs, and, you know, divorce and all, and some churches are beginning to reach in this area as well. An overwhelming majority of pastors who struggle with pornography say it has a profound negative effect on their ministry, twice as much with youth pastors. So recognize the lie. Replace it with the truth. Repeat the process. See, whatever you put in your mind and your emotions will attempt to obey, and something's going to shape your thought life and your destiny. Is it going to be your emotions or is it going to be the truth? And then Luke 9, 23, the next verse. Perhaps you're... You feel like you're maybe you're self-absorbed. You think that you do things better. You sing better. You lead better. And, and we're reminded, no, Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, they must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. And so we examine foundational thinking. We expose false thoughts. We establish fresh thinking. 
And that leads to the fourth principle, that we must equip our faith with truth. I speak a lot of places, have for many years, and several years ago I would speak often when I lived in South Carolina to the Broad River Detention Center in Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, South Carolina is the center of the state. It's the state capital. It's also where we have the largest prison for high school, for juvenile offenders. And so these juvenile offenders are there. Some of them are going to be there until they become adults, and then they're going to be shifted to an adult prison. Some of them have no hope to ever get out of jail. And so we'd go each year and take our group of students to sing, and we would speak, and, and several of those young men and young women became followers of Christ and started Bible studies there in their prison, their detention center. And on the last visit there, the warden said, Doc, I want you to see something before you leave today. It's over in the cafeteria. And someone had written this saying. I had never heard it. Now, I think it's been out for a while, but I had never seen it till that day, so I had to write it down. And it's called The Eagle and the Wolf. Listen to it. And someone had written this in big black sharpie. The eagle and the wolf. They wrote, there's a battle in me between the eagle and the wolf. The eagle represents everything that is true and good and honest. And even though it soars into the valleys, it still lays its eggs on the mountaintop. Inside of me, there's a battle between the eagle and the wolf. And the wolf represents my weaknesses. It preys upon my fears and it justifies itself in the presence of the wolf pack. Inside of me, there's a battle between the eagle and the wolf, and it ended with this question, who will win the war? And someone sometime later had come along with a big red sharpie and a different handwriting, and they wrote this as the answer, the one that you feed. The one that you feed. There's a battle. Romans 7 talks about it. There's a battle in all of us between the flesh and the spirit. And what's going to win out? What's going to win out? Is it going to be your emotions or is it going to be the truth? What's going to win out? The wolf or the eagle? It's going to be the one you feed. Are you going to spend time in God's word seeking his truth? Recognize the lies. Replace it with the truth. Repeat the process. I challenge you tonight. Inside of you, there's a battle between the truth of God and the lies of the enemy, between the spirit and the flesh, between the best of God and the worst of hell. There's a battle inside of you, and the one that wins out will be the one that you decide to feed. And something's going to win out in your life. It's either going to be those old foundational thoughts that people maybe said and lobbed to your spirit, old lies that the enemy continues to fire into the walls of your thought life, or it's going to be the very truth of God. I'm so glad in my life that I've trusted God's truth and God's plan for my life and God's voice into my life and didn't buy into the voices that were coming at me from every other direction. How about you? Whose voice are you listening to today? Are you listening to the voice of God through his word? Are you listening to that to Christian leaders like your pastor, your youth pastor, your Sunday school teacher, and Christian parents and others? Or are you just listening to the words that are coming to you from your peers and others who really don't hold the truth, don't have the truth, have some version of something? I challenge you tonight as we close. You know, first of you, yielded your life 
to Christ? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And then as a Christian, if you're a Christian tonight, if you know Jesus, then are you listening? Are you listening to his voice? Are you listening to his voice? Are you seeking to be driven by the truth and not by the emotions? If we'd all be honest, we'd all declare it's a constant battle. I got news for you. It doesn't get any easier just because you get older. The battles just take on different shapes, different forms, different topics, different issues, but there's a battle always. And when old Rick takes over control, it ain't pretty. But when God's in control, he can take beauty out of ashes. So we love you enough to come down here and tell you that tonight. That God's got a great plan for your life. He's got a great purpose for your life. Let him speak into your heart and life. Listen to the voice of God. And just ignore those other voices that are telling you you're never going to mount anything. You're not believing anything that's true. You believe in a bunch of lies and you know that's not true. Don't listen to, don't buy into Satan's lies. Watch out for the fiery darts of temptation. Re recognize the lies. Replace it with the truth. Repeat the process. We're going to pray, and the band's going to play, and I'm just going to ask you if you want to just come here to the front and pray, if you want to rededicate your life, if you want to pray with your pastor or your youth pastor, that's a good time to do that. If you want to say, you know, I've been fighting this battle too long, and I want to... I want to turn my life over completely to Christ. Tonight's a great night to do that. See, I, want to, I want to feed the eagle. I don't want to feed the wolf. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word which never returns void.